morally corrupt, it's forwards, backwards podcast, not from the corner of Glenway and Monroe and not from the Give Me Some Truth studios. This week, we try to avoid drama, whether it's Detroit City FC, Carl Craig, or any residual all droppings. I'm Keith Ponywaz, and as always, I'm joined by the Schrodinger to my cat, Kyle Carr, the hardest working man in Madison sports podcasting. Kyle, Conte has... Antonio Conte, new manager at Tottenham Hotspur, has once again removed ketchup, mayo, uh, fruit drinks, sandwiches, pizza from the Spurs dining area, cantina slash cafeteria. What one food item, if a uh, coach banned it from you as a player, would you say, nah, fuck this? Um. I think there's two that come into play. The first is coffee. If someone says no coffee, I'm out. I can't do it. I'm walking away. Like there is absolutely no, no chance of that. And the other, I think peanut butter would be the second one. Wow. I Coach said no peanut butter. You'd be like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like peanut butter is an essential part of every meal for me, or at least I need, like if there's breakfast, I can have peanut butter toast. I can have, you know, French toast with peanut butter. I can have pancakes with peanut butter for lunch. I can have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe there's some kind of like curry that needs to be made that involves peanut butter. Same with dinner. Like I can do a wrap or a snack, apples with peanut butter. Peanut butter is essential. So if they say no, I'm, I'm walking away. This is interesting. I, if if I were left to my own devices, coffee first of all is a non-negotiable. If a coach comes in and and, but actually, you know, when I when I think about it, you know, what a, like pizza would be very hard for me to give up because I like a good Friday evening. Like since I've been a little kid, you know, Friday evening and pizza just kind of go together. Like it's the end of the week, you have a couple of slices of pizza, pop in a good movie. You know, um, I like I like the pizza, but if the manager banned milk, I would have a hard time. Ooh, yeah. That's, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, because I like, uh, milk before I go to bed, it relaxes me. Um, even if it's not a cup of hot milk, uh, just some milk relaxes me at night. It's what calms me down. I do skim. So I think I'm, you know, uh, or as, uh, one of my, uh, exes once referred to it as gray milk. Um, it basically I do this. Yeah. I do skim because I, you know, want to keep, keep this, you know, fantastic figure. But we, as I say, we are a whole milk household. Sterling drinks it for his bottles. Abba drank it a lot when she was pregnant. I don't mind it. It's, it's just a little bit creamy. Yeah. We're a whole milk house. Well, and like true milk aficionados will find my love of skim milk to be just downright disgusting. I'm whatever on it. Like, all milk just seems very bland and whatever to me. So it is what it is. So I don't care. It's when, yeah, like whole is fine. Skim is fine. 2%. It, it, it's the ones that at, try and do the most. It's the almond milk. It's the oat milk where I'm just like, is it really that much better? Cause it's probably not to drink. Like I, if I was using it for an ingredient, like baking stuff. Yeah. I could definitely see the appeal of using an all almond milk or oat milk or whatever. But when you're just drinking a glass of it, now we're doing too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're adding it to your coffee. I, I was thinking. No, about- absolutely not. No, coffee yeah. does. No, do not put it in your coffee. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, he he. Conte also, uh, you know, removed a whole bunch of condiments. And I had, I went to Gino's uh, Deli for lunch today, 
and I got their spicy capicola. Oh, so good. And if they removed that, that mustard that they use on that sandwich, I would quit the team because that mustard, I don't know what spicy brown they use on that sandwich, but it is delicious. It just, I should really perfect. go there for lunch one day. I live really close to it. I should go there sometime soon. I did also, and I do have waiting for me. So this may be a shorter podcast. I got one of their lasagnas and oh uh, yeah. Top tier. Took the, Top tier. Took the lasagna. Got the small one. So that'll last yeah. only five days as <laughs> Which will, because that thing is like that. It's oh, it's huge. Thick. I mean, it's like, it's like snow in Wisconsin thick. So yeah, it's definitely one of those where we've, Emma and I have gotten it with her parents and we kind of just decided instead of one of us, one of us making the lasagna, we'll just pick it up because it's just time saver. Yeah. And it's so good. It's yeah. their lasagna is so good um, that it's hard to argue with. So that's what I have waiting for me. So if I just wander off during the middle of the, the podcast, it's because I wanted to get some lasagna. I think. You know, that that would be fair. You can just finish up without me. I yeah, I was gonna say I won't blame you. I'll understand. It's understandable. Um, so uh, you know, big uh USL League One news was they released the team of the year. I think to no one's surprise, uh Aaron Malloy made the team of the year. Kind of a, a little bit of a surprise was uh uh Turbo Tobin, Connor Tobin making the uh second team uh as well. Anything, uh, you know, on the, I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised um, that, you know, he hadn't made it up until this point. Team didn't make the playoffs, you know, um, but uh, well-deserved, I think. Yeah, I mean, I figured with Turbo, it was, when you look at the statistics, it made a lot of sense. He is one of the tops in clearances. He was one of the tops in tackles. He's one of the tops in block shots. It, it didn't surprise me when you look at it statistically why he made it. And, you know, when you look at Air Malloy, I was like, there's absolutely no way he shouldn't make the team of the year in some capacity. So the fact that he made first team and he's there with Ruiz and Micheletto, I, I think that made a lot of sense. And when you look at some of the other midfielders in the second team, I would say Air Malloy had a better season than them. So not surprised. There wasn't really that many surprises in general at the team of the year. I think the big talking point is new who not making the first team, but Akira Fitzgerald definitely deserved first team. And I was talking about it with Yogi and he was surprised that Joe Rice didn't make it, which I think might've been a tough choice um, given that he did have a good year, but no, I think you look at both teams and there's not really major arguments. And especially from a Ford Madison perspective, I don't think you can really argue about anyone else, like someone being excluded, at least from Ford Madison's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the guy that you'd like to watch going into next year that I think could be a real candidate, depending on, you know, how his year goes next year, if he's still with the team, and maybe I missed something, and he, we know already that he's not, uh, is uh, Derek Gebhardt. I mean, I think he's a guy that, you know, um, certainly has the potential to make it, especially if they're a little bit more uh, aggressive and, and fluid going forward. But, you know. A lot of, lot of possibilities out there. Um, and in terms of roster, we haven't heard too much. Um, just that uh, we know Giro not returning next year, which, uh, you know, a little bit of a heartbreaker as he goes to Monterey Bay in the championship. Um, you know, it's one of the hard things about uh, rooting for a USL League One team uh, is we are at the bottom and you want guys to make their way up, especially a guy that's, I think, worked as hard and, you know, shows so much fight on the field as, as Jiro does. Um, you know, I remember when we were still doing the podcast in person and we saw Jiro biking by uh, us on like a, a, a 
day like today, like in November. So, um, you know, best of luck to him and, and really a pleasure to watch him play. And, and, you know, um, leading into what we're going to discuss, the big issue, if Giro had been there all season, maybe the switch to the three, five, two, um, works out a little better for forward Madison. Um, because he's a guy that when you think of a wing back, that's what he's ideally suited for. Um, so let's then tip. Well, there were other departures that it sounds like that's confirmed, you know, Gustavo Fernandez, uh, made it sound like he was leaving Madison. Noah Fusan, uh, was leaving Madison. Michael Vang, I think everyone kind of knew that one was definitely happening. So we did have for some for sure, uh, departures just based off of social media and Instagram posts with those three. But we also found out Aaron Malloy has another year on his contract. So yeah. unless a team backs it up with the Brinks truck, it's kind of nice. So the, yeah. I guess that's really the big rosters. But yeah, Jiro was, I mean, from someone from year one with Madison, just embodied what the team we would want to see in terms of putting in the effort. You know, Jiro is always a guy that would show up to events if invited. Jiro is one of those guys that you just saw how hard he worked. And I, I think he was someone that the fans truly latched onto. So best of luck to him. I hope he crushes it. And, you know, he is one of those guys where you, you want him. You, it sucks to see him go. But when he's moving up to another level, that is it makes sense. And it's well-deserved. It would have been the same thing with Aaron Malloy. If he had gone yep. to championship, it's like, yeah, you're you're probably too good for us now. You, you definitely need to move on to bigger, better things. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, you hope whomever they, they bring in. Uh, Aaron Malloy. And, and I think, uh, I saw somewhere, I forget, uh, where exactly maybe on the Slack, the, the forward Slack or something like that. Somebody said, you know, I don't want to have any manager who doesn't want Aaron Malloy on his, on his squad. Um, and so in the interim, you know, those guys we we've learned are probably leaving the team. Um, we also learned that Carl Craig and forward Madison are no longer continuing. Uh, apparently they had signed Carl to a multi-year deer deal. So, um, you know, it was a little bit surprising, I think, to Carl to learn that he had lost his job because he had this multi-year deal. Um, but, uh, Kyle, what are your sort of initial thoughts on all of that? Obviously, because I've got thoughts. Yeah, obviously, it's a bummer that it didn't work out. You know, I, I think it, none of us, as we kind of go into the more critical side of it, none of us are, you know, we don't want to see people lose their jobs. You know, if it's tough to see that, I, I think Carl, in terms of a person, great person, you know, someone that would make time and talk to people. But at the same time, you know, when you're finishing ninth out of 12th in the league, you are the only independent teams that you finished ahead of was North Carolina, who pretty much were in a effort. We're going to rebuild situation and Tormenta where they're just, Obviously, they want to compete, but they also have their whole academy. It's like we're trying to build within as well. So when you're finishing behind them, when you only win eight of 28 games, it it's tough when you're, when the results are not translating on the field. And hell, if it weren't for winning two of the final three games, you only have six wins. Uh, and the consistent patterns of the draws, you know, there were five matches that Ford Madison conceded a late goal. And even if you want to take out the Fort Lauderdale refereeing uh, shambolicness, that's still eight points. And that's the difference between finishing third and finishing ninth. So, you know, when, and it's not just a, oh, this was unlucky type of, you know, 
draws, they were, it became a pattern. It became a pattern of you're consistently allowing late goals. You're consistently making uh, tactical decisions that might not have worked. That didn't work out. didn't make sense. And if what, you know, was being said in terms of, you know, the evaluations of the players and stuff like that are, you know, if that was taken into consideration to potentially lose, you know, the team, you're, it's going to be hard to come back from. Um, and if you're already planning on gutting half the roster and because, you know, players aren't working out, it's kind of tough. It, it is, it's tough to come back from. So I think it is, you know, there is the nuance of it. I think, you know, there was that thought of, oh, maybe he saves his job with winning two of the final three matches and drawing, coming back from 2 0 down, drawing against Tucson. But at the same time, it's like, we clearly knew this team was talented. Like, they, it showed in these final matches, like, the team had the talent to compete. Overall, they competed with the top, with the playoff teams. And, you know, where was this in the middle of the season? And where was this for most of the time? I mean, I've always said, this team is underachieved. And when you're finishing ninth and that was being gracious, considering at one point you're probably at threat of finishing 11th or 12th. It's tough. And when you're a front office that wants to do more and compete at the very least be a playoff team. And I'm sure in there in the, in the ownership's mind, be on that, you know, home playoff team, even first round by this isn't going to cut it. And they even said, we are looking for someone to handle more of the technical side of things. And when you are, when you bring in the majority of this roster and that majority of the roster falls short, it, it does fall on you. So it's unfortunate that it didn't work out, but at the same time, I, I don't think it's super surprising. I have always said, I wouldn't be surprised if this move had been made, but I also wouldn't have been surprised if he came back next year. So, you know, obviously hope the best for Carl moving forward and, Hope that whoever comes in can hit the ground running and get the team playing to the level that I think everyone has, which is at the very least playoffs. So um, Kyle has has hit on a, a couple of the key points. The first is I think when we talk about these things and it hits a little different than if you're talking about, you know, Mike McCarthy at the Packers or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at, at, uh, 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 Manchester United, or even Steve Bruce, who we learned got eight million dollars to be fired from North, uh, you know, from Newcastle. It it hits a little bit differently because the the these are one, on one hand people who become embedded in your community. Uh, you know, they're not you know making eight million bucks coaching a, a USL League One team. Um, I was surprised they made the move. Um, it's what I thought they should do. And, um, there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, first of all, I was less than, uh, overwhelmed by this hire. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the first is if you look at, you know, his overall record in Minnesota as a head coach, it wasn't that impressive. It was mediocre at best. Um, so I wasn't getting real excited. Um, I have a, and, and Kyle has heard me express this and I'm happy to go into this with people, a, a an inbuilt bias against English coaches. Um, there are all sorts of reasons for that, but if you grew up, when I grew up playing soccer in the United States, the United States kind of ended up as like England's Australia for coaches. Like 
they didn't know they couldn't ship them off to the penal colony. So they, they shipped them here to the United States. So, you know, and, and so many guys got by because they had an English accent and an England war, warm up top, I think. And it didn't correspond to a, a level of understanding that uh, of the game. And it made it harder for uh, youth development in this country. Uh, I think we excluded a lot of good uh, coaches from other parts of the world. I'm thinking of South America I'm thinking of uh, the Netherlands because we had this bias towards uh, English coaches. So this is a built-in um, sort of uh, uh, bias on my part, uh, and I I will be the first to acknowledge that. So I was less than excited. The third was, you know, if you you looked at where he was coming to this, he was coaching at the youth level, and it wasn't, you know, uh, coaching at the the you know highest possible level. And you can make all sorts of arguments for why you might want to do that. You might want to, you know, oh, it's important to your family, so on and so forth. But if you ask, if you look at the coaches in this league who have made it or done well or surprised you, one, they're either John Harkson, they're an American legend, right? Who, by all accounts, has been a very good manager at a variety of levels, but is also kind of a jerk, right? Um, I don't think you know, anybody has been surprised and he's fallen out with owners, but he's found something at, you know, North, uh, at, at uh, Greenville with the triumph that fits for him. Right. But otherwise you have Jay Mims, who's kind of a younger guy on his way up. You had um, in Lansing last year. Um, why can't I think of his name? Nate Miller. Nate Miller, younger guy on his way up. And so when I'm, when I look at what you know you're looking for i wanted someone young i wanted someone hungry carl didn't give any of those vibes the other thing is when i asked people about him what kind of coach is he what what does he espouse oh you're gonna love him and so much about carl that we got was about all this cultural stuff right he's a was a vegan he played in a punk band he you know ran a co-op he's an interesting guy he taught them Wonderwall in minnesota and when it comes to the football, I don't care about that shit. I mean, I don't know how to put it, you know, like, first of all, Daryl, uh, you know, was never a, a guy that you were going to say, oh my gosh, this guy is such a one wonderful, friendly guy. I mean, he's from Long Island. He was a little gruff, could be a little gruff, but always had time for the, this podcast, always had time for the club, for events, if he was invited you know, wanted to make a difference, but was also, you know, that's just how he was. And so, you know, one of the excuses I always heard this year was, well, COVID, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was way worse for Daryl last year. So if we were going to, you know, exempt people for, for COVID reasons, last year for Daryl was just a shit show. Right. And so, you know, in terms of the, you know, uh, mediocre level of playing, I, I was more on board with like giving Daryl, a little bit of a break than what we saw this year, because in terms of results, and there are a couple of things, and then I'll, I'll kind of stop. And then I have a couple more things in terms of results. The first month of the year, we had three of our wins. We had eight on the year. You exclude the final three matches, which yeah, theoretically we we're still in the playoff hunt, but we were done, right? They were meaningless matches. They were garbage time. You exclude those last three matches. That's five of our wins, right? In 
and I'm just doing the math, 301 and 201, right? That is 20, you know, the remaining 21 matches, we had three wins in the heart of the season. That's a little tough to take. Three out of 21. And at one point before we went on that late run, if you looked at the second half of the season, in terms of performance, we were actually behind North Carolina FC. So that tells me a couple of things. One is, and I think we saw it on the field, we regressed soccer-wise. So when I was just looking at results, I didn't think, you know, we were, we were going to be there, but I also knew, okay, first year, they're going to give them some room, blah, blah, blah. I thought, well, they'll probably bring them back. And, if, and I, I didn't know that they had signed them to a multi-year deal. If I had known they had signed them to a multi-year deal, I was sure <laughs> they were going to bring him back. But, you know, Kyle, given, given those sorts of things, you know, where were you sitting, you know, on the, the season as a whole, I guess? Yeah, I mean, when hearing about Carl and even talking to him, it was like, yeah, he got the community aspect. He understood it. And I think that was important. I think that is still important because we are still USL League One. So a lot, we know these players. We know these coaches. We know the owners. Like, we know these people. So it's important that if you're going to bring in a coach, you saw Don and Paula. You still had Turbo and Eric Leonard. You still had Brandy. You still had Pato. You still had J. Like, that, I think the biggest thing for Daryl was you had the same team, more or less. You added, you know, well, you added a striker, which they needed to do. You added a guy like Mike Vang and Gustavo. Like, but overall, that roster was pretty similar. So I think that was one thing when you're being that turgent, it's like, okay, even with those same guys, not really improving. If anything, you're stagnant, which again, COVID made a lot of sense with a lot of those reasons, but that was one thing. So when you bring in Carl, it's like you want someone that comes in and you have this community aspect. And I think now the big thing that I think they realize is over Yes, you still want someone that can get involved with the community, someone that can connect with the fans, but they still need their main job is being a good coach and being a coach and someone that can identify talent and bring in that talent. I think it's fair to say Carl did bring in the talent. I think we saw that. He brings in Derek Ebhard. He brought in Aaron Malloy. He brought in Jake Keegan. He brought in um, Phil Brino. Like He didn't bring in guys that were complete scrubs at the beginning. Like you're seeing Carlos Gomez, like he brought in guys that either show that they can play at this level or were hungry to play at that level. And I know you and I are differing on Tyler Allen, but at least you saw someone that was hungry to play. So we saw that. And so you can't say that the talent wasn't there. He brought in the talent, but then he couldn't coach it or he lost it. I don't know what you want to describe it as, but you can't win only eight of your 28 games. And yes, you started off the season well, and maybe that was a blessing and a curse because if you had started poorly and then had more of a North Carolina, maybe there's a different story because then it's like, okay, we are seeing the progression. But we saw a hot start and then fall off and a hot finish. And yes, for those final two games, especially the last game, we had nothing to play for. But those last three games, teams had things to play for. Omaha was going for the one seed. Tucson was still fighting for a playoff. Chattanooga was they'd still needed to win to get a bye week. So it's not like these were, I mean, yes, they were meaningless in terms of Ford Madison's outlook, but they weren't meaningless for the other teams. So the fact that they can still win it is good, but you can't, you only get one win against 
Revs two. You get zero wins against Fort Lauderdale. You get zero wins against Toronto. You get you lose on the road to North Carolina. Like there are too many games that you can argue they really should have done better in. And again, are we having this discussion if some of those draw if those four draws where they allow late goal turn into wins? Probably not. He's probably coming back next year. But that and that but that plays into what you're saying in terms of he just tactically something fell off and regressed tactically. And maybe that was the injuries to Jero and Pato, which made going to a three, five, two, a change. But at the same time, it, it wasn't the three, five, two wasn't working either. Well, and so just to give you, you know, kind of a, I broke it down and I have no, uh, you know, uh, I was curious after listening to the, to the podcast that he, he did the interview with Jeremy and, and Rob uh, over at Talk and Flock. And for me, actually, that became the moment where I was like, oh, might be time for Carl to go. Um, because there were a couple of things. One, there was not, to me, in listening to it, and I listened to the whole thing, up front. And, and the other thing, as I get into this, I'll, I'll share that I shared this with some of my friends who uh, coached at, at the high school level or assisted at the college level just because I heard some things in there that were deeply concerning to me. And I wanted to be like, am I out on a limb? Cause I'm so pissed off at how crap this team was over the course of the year. One was, you know, he made the shift to a, a three, five, two because teams had figured us out in the four, three, three attacking wise. Now, one of the things that we've talked about over and over again here is the three five two in terms of going forward is a less create it offers you fewer options it's it's a little more restrained there's less that you can do with it a lot of times you know if you're Thomas Tuchel if you're Antonio Conte you come in and you do the three five two because you want to solidify the defense right off the top not because you believe that you're going to add attacking and then you know as he went on and he talked about the logic of of bringing in um, you know Josiah Trimmingham as a striker. And, oh, maybe we could have, you know, if I had another guy in the midfield like Aaron Malloy, we could have played a 4-4-2, or I tried to move Aaron Malloy forward. The sort of English 4-4-2 he's talking about is dead and gone for a thousand tactical reasons. There's a reason why nobody plays a tall and a small 4-4-2 anymore. Well, and the thing with that 4-4-2 is we would see that after he made the subs and go from that three, five, two, two, a four, four, two, to add more of an attacking oof. And then there was more attacking, but that's again, because that three, five, two, you do it to, like you said, solidify the defense and limit chances, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> and, and so, and just to give you some statistics and I, I, I give you no promises of accuracy, but I, I was curious about like shots under the 433 which you know the the switch the the change point uh was midway through the season uh i'm just pulling up the the actual date here was uh august 14th against south south georgia was kind of the, the moment uh, up until that point we had had 14 shots on goal 14.15 average a game after that we went to 12 shots a goal uh uh, under the the four three three, we had or, or tw- fourteen shots a game. We had four shots, four point oh seven six shots on goal in the four three three. 
we had 3.64 shots on goal in the 3.52. By the way, this sounds like I actually did work for this podcast, which is a little... You know, when you sent me that link, I was very impressed with all the data. I, I was I was very impressed. <laughs> there was like legit da- data. Um, in terms of goals allowed, we actually conceded slightly less in the three five two, which makes sense with what we've been saying, right? We went from one point two three a game to one point one four average points a game. Season long, we were one point two eight. Under the the four three three, we're at one point three eight. Now we had that hot start, may have adjusted things, uh, but then you know, 1.24, uh, with the three, five, two, all I of do those have one numbers, quick question, huh? That North Texas one, the North Texas where North Texas scored four was that in a four, three, three, or was that a three, five, two? Cause I feel like one where I feel like I could definitely skew the data. Yeah. Worse. That was, that was in a, uh, four, three, three. That was before we okay. shifted over. That was also in, and you know, my feeling our least predictive, uh, productive midfield, uh, was uh, Enriquez and, and Gomez. And so one of the things I, I you know, I think I told you, I, I harped about the, the Suko Jepsen with, with Malloy being the better midfield, uh, you know, 13.7 shots uh, versus 11.5 with Enriquez in the midfield if we had Suko and Jepsen. Uh, 3.28 shots on goal, less than uh, with Enriquez where we had 3.5. But we were scoring more goals, 1.42, 1.43 actually, uh, versus 1.08 with Enriquez in the midfield. So uh, we conceded you know, slightly less, but we had higher points per game with Suko and Jepsen, 1.43 versus 1.23 with Enriquez in the midfield. So you know, uh, also just to give you an idea, we started really strong. Um, we had 3. We, were, we had about 15.57 shots. Uh, in the first seven games and uh, 3.7 shots on goal in the first seven games. So you, you got a sense of sort of how strong we started. Um, It did not continue that way. But when, when you make an argument, like we shifted to the three, five, two, because teams were figuring out our attack. That was frustrating. Um, The other thing that was frustrating was we stopped scoring from set pieces we started conceding on set pieces and stopped scoring from set pieces. And that's always a what's going on here with the team. But the biggest thing was you didn't get from Carl a boy, we didn't get the results. You did not get the sense of a guy that owned his situation, right? Um, in that interview, you, you had the sense of a guy who was like, yeah, oh, well, you know, boy, you know. And one thing he said was like, well, it was, it was, you know, um, I guess, you know, our results could chalk up to, you know, bad refing, some mind farts and fatigue. And it's like, well, and we talked about this. We, yeah. we texted about this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but dude, you're responsible for two of those three things. Like as a coach, your job is to eliminate the mind farts. Like that's your job. As a coach, you got to make sure your players are, are in shape. That's your job, you know, and you weren't using all of your subs in all of these matches. So if there's fatigue, that's a, that's a little bit on you, dog, you know? And how many of these refereeing, like, I feel like the two that stand out the most is Fort Lauderdale and the North Texas at home. And Fort Lauderdale, yeah, 
fully, there's no reasonable explanation why there was eight minutes to stop and chime in a one zero match where there's no goal scored and no major injuries and why that went 10, two extra minutes longer. Fine. I'll give that one North Texas. Yeah, that's probably not ideally a foul, but how much of that is going back to the brain farts because of fatigue and maybe getting a sloppy under tackle, but it is the, but when you say the brain farts and the stamina, it's like, yeah, we saw that because of the late goals that were conceded. And yes, we did say, you know, the fatigue leads to brain farts. Yeah. You can control the fatigue or at the very, you have more control of the fatigue, whether it's training or making subs. And then, you know, the, the, you know, the other thing that, that drove me nuts and we, we've, you know, talked about this is also like you, you, you know, you're bunkering back. Why are we still, why did that keep happening? Right. Because all of a sudden, if you commit that foul, near your own area because you're bunkering so deep it's a difference than if you commit that foul you know out at midfield because you're actually playing out or you have a pattern of play where you you get bunkered in and you hit it to a target and you have you know guys running off and he lays it off and at least you're getting counterattacking chances we weren't getting those counterattacking chances where we could at least relieve the pressure so yeah if you're sitting back and bunkering down you're going to be fatigued you're going to make mistakes you're going to give up that goal just because as well, you're something's going to get deflected and go in, right? You, you, it's hard to, to bunker that long and, and do all of that. If you, and not have trained out of it was, was frustrating. The final thing that really kind of annoyed me, and this is a, a three point part, a three part point we'll say, the first is when we came, when, when the season started, one of the things that was really, you know, stressed to us and stressed by Kyle, uh, by Carl himself to us was his use of psychology and, you know, understanding the whole person of the player and, and really getting to relate to them and, and understanding them. Then we have a point where by, you know, you, you could see if you were looking at the bench he had kind of lost the bench, right? And you heard stories about him not getting along with certain players, one of whom he admitted was Michael Vang, right? And again, his response to the questions about Michael Vang were, you know, all on Michael Vang. <laughs> you know, he's got to work harder. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. And he sort of flippantly said, well, you know, I could have been part of it. Maybe he didn't mesh with me. But there wasn't a sense of an examination of literally our, our, our number one talent, not named Aaron Malloy, our best player last year in the limited amount of time on the field. And he had been totally sidelined by the end of the year. And to me, if I'm a coach and I lose a guy like that, I'm asking myself questions. And then we saw it big picture here at the end of the year, right, where the negative reviews came in and there were the comments that he released to Madison 365 about basically like they sounded a lot like, well, you know, those players wanted to fire me, but I was going to fire them first. Right. You can't break up with me. I break up with you. Right. And, and so <laughs> you can't like, fire well, me. I quit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm going to turn over half of these guys anyway. So maybe they were ticked about that. And it's like, there's a lot of turnover in league one. That's just the nature of the beast. Even, you know, you look at Daryl year one to year two, there was a lot of turnover. 
we had a fairly solid roster, but there, st- there was turnover in terms of the squad and guy kind of guys that weren't necessarily locked in starters, but yeah, there was, there was definitely turnover, but it was, but you knew the core. Well, well, but yeah, we, but we, you know, lost Josie L we lost, um, you know, Danny Tenorio up top Beeman, oh, the manly, was, right. Or, we lost yeah. guy. We did lose guys. Um, Olmstead but. in the, in the defense. I mean, I would say within that team, half of them weren't there the next year. And, you know, even just uh, attrition into this year, you know, JC banks, wasn't going to be back. He retired. You know, we lost our goalkeepers. We lost all that stuff. Right. So that level of turnover is built in into the, you know, so you have to adjust to it and you have to approach it. But then, you know, if you're a guy that's like talking about how you really care about the players and the whole person and all that, and your attitude to these guys being like, you know, we just didn't think he was up to it is, well, I was just going to fire them anyway. Strikes me as a guy that maybe doesn't, that you talk a good game, but you don't actually preach it. If that makes sense. Um, that, that you're not a guy that is, is actually engaging in these things, if that makes sense. Well, and it's one of those where, when I mentioned the players that were leaving, they were all the young players. And other than Jiro, I don't know if they have anything lined up, but it, I mean, if it is to the point that they are just leaving, and it is, again, Noah Fusan, who we all thought was going to, you know, have a breakout year or we saw, we thought, okay, could really do something. You know, there's Gustavo Fernandez who started the year pretty well. Sure. He didn't, he made a few mistakes, but the fact that he gets frozen off the team, the fact that Fusan never, when it, when we're lacking goals and unable to score goals, he sometimes was even getting subbed in. Then obviously we know about Mike Fang, but it's like, that's where it's kind of like the, if you're losing a lot of the team, where and how many because yeah you you look on the bench and there might be something there but even then i mean i feel like it would take a lot to have after evaluating with the players as well as one of the factors because i think it would have been one of those where the players like no he's you know this is our guy like we just had a bad break it is what it is stick with him i think they would stuck with him if you know the roster was like you know it's not on him but if they're thinking it's on him, then that's something you also have to consider where if that would, I don't know, again, I don't know what all the factors were, but I'm sure player input had to have been a part of it because kind of Gloria even vaguely mentioned it in the press release. So, if, I mean, if, the, if you lost the locker room, if you lost the players or at least most of the players, it is really hard to come back from regardless. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the, the indication from Connor was it wasn't just new guys. It wasn't old guys. It was like kind of all, all across the board. They it wasn't said, guys that weren't playing there. It was also guys yeah. that were playing. Yeah. And they said, Oh, you know, we, you know, we like him as a person, but he's just not there. And that's the other thing, you know, um, one of my deep suspicions as well as of coaching in the United States and coaching schools. And so, you know, his licenses and all that and FA licenses are worth less than the paper they're printed on um, because the F the football association of England. And I can go on a long rant about Charles Hughes and you know, that they for a long time were led by Charles Hughes and you know, he came up with this 
weird statistical thing that, you know, goals are scored on a limited number of passes. And so we should get the ball into the mixer as fast as possible. I could go on to a long rant about that, but one of the things, you know, you, you hear these clever phrases and one that stuck out to me was when he was on that interview, you know, fractals of football. And I want to create, you know, have my players solve problems. Well, that's good at the youth level. That's what you're doing at the youth level. If somebody's 14, you want to put them in a, a four side game and have them work out solutions. I mean, I coached high school and, you know, with, with freshmen and sophomore, you, you, you know, want them to solve problems and think about how to solve problems. Cause that's going to make them better players in the long run. But with pros, first of all, you have a condensed season. Second of all, each player is going to solve a problem slightly different and you know, it's soccer. So there's no one right way. Right. And so what you need is all of your players solving the problems in very similar manners. Right. So when we, when I talk about four, three, three versus three, five, two versus, you know, four, four, two, or we go back and forth about that. Part of that is it's a framework that the guys know that, that, the other guys around them are going to be solving the problems in similar ways, if that makes sense. And what I got from Carl was that he didn't connect that, Hey, we, these guys, some of them have been solving problems on their own for a long time. And we need to bridge that so that, you know, uh, Aaron Malloy solves the problem the same as Jake Keegan, as, you know, Gebhardt, as Allen, as Suko, as Enriquez, as whomever, Right. And you didn't get that. The other thing related to what you had said, that especially with the younger players, if you want to develop guys, it seemed like in a lot of cases, a young guy would make one mistake and he'd get the boot. You know, you look at Fernandez, you look at Vang, you look at Noah Fusan, who started getting into form in the middle of the season, was knocking in some goals and then boom, gone, never see, never to be seen again. And we get the, the Trimmingham experiment because, you know, essentially he didn't say it, but Carl Craig wanted to play Newcastle 1985 football. And that's not entertaining to me. That's not good tactics, but it's also like antithetical to what you're talking about, right? <laughs> Which is like, I want to develop these guys, you know, I want them to, you know, so that what you said about like Gustavo, like Gustavo never made it back in the lineup and I mean, I would have rather had him than Cyrus Rad, in all honesty, but, you know, stop me here is what I'm trying to tell you, Kyle. I mean, I, can I can't argue that because I had been saying, you know, when the team was struggling, I had said you need to try something different. You can't, like, it was clear that this was not working. So if something's not working, do something else. It might not work, but you got to do something else because what you're doing isn't working. And part of that was, okay, one of the things he decided that wasn't working was I'm going to throw Josiah Trimmingham on. And it worked. He got the goals. He scored goals. He was causing enough chaos in the box. Cool. But you stuck with that 3-5-2. And the thing that really stood out to me was, I mean, Cyrus makes a brain fart against Greenville. Okay, that's one thing. I don't know why he didn't get yanked when Gustavo did. Okay. But you see the two Richmond goals, and they're, you know, the first and both games in Richmond, the one in the 1 0 cross goes completely across the face of goal, scores. 
And then the final goal in the last matchup, again, carbon copy, losing Terzaghi. And again, how that doesn't result in, okay, that isn't working. I got to take this guy out and put someone else in. It it was more the lack of tactical flexibility to me. It was the, I'm going to continue doing this. That was my bigger issue. And in turn, with the substitutions as well, it was the waiting until the 75th minute. It's waiting and not putting guys in. When you need a goal, you're not subbing in someone like Noah Fusan. You need a goal, you put in a striker. Or if you have a tired midfielder, you take out that tired midfielder and put him in. If you want to try and throw up the defense, you throw on another defender and maybe make an alteration. But none of that but, happened. It was or, the yeah, or you 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 know slide another guy in next to Malloy, right? Because Malloy likes to get forward, and if you if you watch Malloy, you know in terms of he he's different than Eric Leonard, who you always knew where Eric Leonard was when he was playing DCM, right? He wouldn't push forward with Malloy. You'd see him drift a little bit more. And one of the reasons I like Zuko and Jepsen, as I've mentioned a lot of times on this podcast, is those guys would naturally habitually kind of. And part of it is I can't tell them apart. I mean, let's be honest, Kyle. All white dudes look the same. Um, but they would, especially like, you know, guys with the name Audie. I mean, they're, they just look all the same. They've all got the same haircut. Um, but, you know, they would slide in and fill the space behind Malloy. And so he could, you know, if he went forward, there wasn't that imbalance. Whereas Enriquez never really got that concept right and that's again the idea of solving problems together like you know i i I mean you have two you have two in the base or you have you know three midfielders it's like well if he goes you gotta cycle back right and oh you move you know and it's solving these problems together and and that just fell apart as the year went on you know It, it just wasn't there um and that that was a frustration I, I think it was just the common mistakes that frequently happened. And, and, you know, and even, you know, you'd said, well, we need to do something new to my mind. You know, the first thing you do in these situations where you're not scoring goals is you check your set pieces, you make sure, you know, okay, are we taking full advantage of this? I mean, it took until the last game of the season to discover that Enriquez can really kill free kicks. I mean, that would have been nice to know, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was only because he was on fire that week and Aaron Malloy was like, okay, fine. Which, yeah, yeah, I would also trust Aaron Malloy to do the free kicks. Yeah, no, but, you know, why didn't... But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, why was I'm that sure not been, incorporated on corners, for example? Yeah, or, well, and I'm sure, like, you know, well, and that, yeah, like, we've moved if Enriquez can take corners too, it's like, why are we moving Malloy out there? Cause we've seen Malloy can just pound them in from outside the box, a whole bunch of things. Um, ultimately, you know, that's what the, that interview though, last week and I, I forwarded it to my friends who are coaches and they pointed out some of these things that they were like, Hey, that doesn't sound great. That's not the attitude I would take. Now I'm not saying my friends who are coaches are the world's greatest coaches, but there were some things that didn't sit well with coaches. How's that sound? Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm, I guess, I mean, I don't think that interview was like the nail in the coffin. It was just one of those where, well, no, and it I felt don't. like a, I hope the club like leadership does not listen to our podcasts. That's what I'm trying to stress here. They don't. Yeah. They yeah. don't. 
<laughs> no, I guess it really was. It felt like that interview was a summation of how the season was where there are a lot of things to nitpick and individually you can look at things as like, okay, fine. Like you can excuse or you can overlook certain parts, but when you look at it as a whole or when you reflect on it as a whole, it's a, Oh, ooh, hold on now. We need to, we need to look this over kind of thing. And that was similar to the season. When you look at the, you know, 12 draws, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Like, 12 draws is an ideal, but Chattanooga had 11. They were in the playoffs. And then you're looking like, yeah, but a lot of those draws were from winning positions. Oh, okay. Okay, that's not good. Or you look at the 3-5-2, and it's like, yeah, okay, you want to try and be solid defensively. But then you only had like two, one or two clean sheets Yeah. after that happens okay, that's not great. And I'm pretty sure it was just one clean sheet. So then it's like, oh, so that's not ideal. You know, it's just stuff like that when you start thinking about it. And then it's like, oh, I didn't, you know, I fell out with one of these players. And I was like, well, it seems like it wasn't just one player. You are just clearly using this one player as your example. But there seems to be a trend if you had two or three that already said, I'm out. So it's just one of those where you, when you look at it as a whole, that's where the, you got to look at it as a whole and take a step back and reevaluate. Yeah. So the one clean sheet we had was uh, against Richmond on the 11th of uh, September. Uh, Interestingly enough, that game we were outshot 15 to eight. Um, So, you know, make of that what you will. Granted, Um, Terzaghi had a great chance. I'm pretty sure that was one where Terzaghi had a great chance and just missed it. So, um, and, and so, you know, uh, if you're saying, Keith, what are you looking for? You know, I'm looking for young and hungry. Um, you know, uh, I think that's, I would like to see us find somebody that maybe, you know, wouldn't have gotten an opportunity in the past, either, uh, you know, coach of, uh, you know, from South American origin, African American coach, a woman, you know, someone who, is going to come in with a, a, a sort of chip on their shoulder um, because they're young and they're hungry and, you know, try to really push us forward because they want to advance. They want to be like their players and move up rather than for somebody that they're like, Oh, this is a good fit for my personality. If that makes sense. Cause I think a lot of the off the field stuff, you know, blends in. Yeah. I'm look, I had said it on walking 90. I want to coach that has an identity and a plan and can clearly articulate that plan. I think that's uh, what I'm going to want. I don't care if it is more of a defensive John Hark style, defensive, you know, Conte style. Fine. If that's what it is, that's what it is. But I need to know what it is. Well, and I also think, you know, to my mind, you have to have the courage to stick to your guns, right? Because. Well, it's one thing to make an adjustment when you know something's not working or it's one thing to make an adjustment. If you need to make the adjustment, say per, players get hurt or whatever you had wasn't working, that's fine. But I need to know what the initial plan is. I need to know what you are hoping to do. And I, I think it needs to resonate with the players as well. I think it need, the players that are out there need to resonate with the plan. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there's an, a difference between, you know, look, we're not going to get Pep Guardiola is going to be, teaching us perfect football, but you know, a guy like 
Pep Guardiola believes in the way that he wants to play football. And yeah, he makes adjustments. He makes adjustments all over the place, but like sometimes to his own detriment. Yeah. But the, the big picture of Pep stays the same, right? We're not going to get Pep Guardiola. The big picture of Jurgen Klopp stays the same, right? There may be some adjustments, you know, you bring in a throwing coach, you maybe slide somebody else different. You, you know, later in games, they go to four, two, four, but you know, the big picture of how he's going to play Conte, you know, the big picture of how he's going to play. There are going to be adjustments Tuchel. but you know, when things aren't working, they don't immediately abandon that plan and run off. They, okay, what's not working Yep. What can we fix? How do we get better? And so, you know, that was one of the things of the four, three, three, Going from us, you know, he talked about Jake Keegan being more skilled and him just wanting a big body to cause chaos. Well, that's two radically opposed, you know, systems. And that's not an adjustment. You know, that's not what we're talking about. That's giving up on your identity. So I want somebody who has, for lack of a better word, the cojones to, to you know, not listen to two idiots on a podcast who are like, why aren't we scoring goals? What's going on? and say, well, it didn't work that week. It didn't work, you know, and yeah, it's going to suck here, but I believe in what I'm doing and we're going to get it right. So any last thoughts, uh, walking 90 tomorrow night. Is there, uh, who, who do you have in the playoffs? Can you give us a, a preview of that or, uh, are you not allowed? Can you not leak, you know, material? I mean, I can definitely, cause I've said it from day one. I, I have Greenville winning the whole thing. And do you have Phoenix pulling the upset? Tucson, not Phoenix, Tucson. Probably not, but I can be convinced to change that, but probably not. Here, you know, if I'm Tucson, I go into that band box and I just lock it down and I make that game as ugly as possible and we go to PKs and see what happens. I Tucson has a strategy that can work. I just don't know if they have the skill set to make it work. I mean, I, I'd like, I'd like Trill, Trill, cause no, that's, uh, that's who's that's who's, Chattanooga. Yeah. Who's the goalkeeper for Tucson? Um, uh, good question. Lap, we, Lap, Lapsley. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I was like, we literally just talked about, or yeah, yeah we just talked about him <laughs> a few I, weeks I ago. Take, I would take him over Nuhu in the, in the shootout. So go, go with that, that as you will. That's, that's what I would go for. You go into that band box. You kick them a lot. They get angry. You play 120 minutes of just crap soccer. Get See, and that's what I was thinking North Texas would have done. Yeah, but, you know, North Texas has that more development mindset. They want those guys yeah. to learn how to play. And but that's still. their goal, right? <laughs> Rather than beating Omaha. Whereas Tucson, just, you know, make it ugly. You know, make celebrate in front of JMMs, make them upset, and make it ugly. That's what I would do. And I think that's the advantage Greenville has going in there is John Harks has no pride. Um, you know, so he doesn't care, you know, he's John, he's John F and Harks. Like, what does he care? He just goes in there and he's like, yeah, we're going to win this championship. Screw you. So I'm still with you on Greenville. Uh, we'll say, and we're going to take off here for a couple of months. You've got brew hoop podcasting to do. I've got some lasagna to eat. Um, we'll, we'll get back. Football manager to play. Yeah. I'm going to Germany here. So we may get together, you know, before the end of the year, we may not. Uh, just, just depends. Um, and then, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be back for another season. Um, you know, my blood pressure always throws it up in there until next time we say forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling.
me. 